Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders here. And uh, we are in our third of four weeks going through our identity statements. We have the little books. You can get one in the back if you don't have one. We've been handing those out. There are statements in here that we say about ourselves that are most aligned with truth. And when we forget them, they help us remember who we are and how we act and how we should identify ourselves because we often identify ourselves in the wrong way or with statements that are less than all-encompassing. And so we have four statements we're walking through. And this morning we're walking through the We Engage as Missionaries statement, the the statement of identity. We're again in Colossians and uh, chapter 4. And as many of the other pastors have already said, it doesn't need to be Colossians. We've picked statements that are so permeating through all of Scripture and that is why they're identity statements, because they are rooted in this, in this book all over the place. So while you're turning to Colossians, um, Colossians chapter 4, I want us to think about a question that I've been thinking about this week. For what do you ask people to pray? When you say, will you please pray for me, what are you asking them to pray for? I was pondering this quite a bit, and I think that often the things we ask prayer for can be an indicator of what we think our identity is. Um, It's not always that way, but sometimes it can be a really good indicator. What often comes out of your mouth when you say, can you please pray for me, can be an indicator of what you think your identity is. Sometimes I've noticed in myself, my prayer requests just revolve around my job all the time. It can be make my job easier. Can, Can I get that promotion? Can people just understand that I have the great ideas? That would be really great. Can I get that raise? Can I get a little bit more money? Whatever it is, and I, it doesn't have to be, but sometimes I can wrap myself around my job. And I say, that's, all, that's what I want prayer for, my job. Some people go in my family that they would be happy, that my kids would be successful, that they would be smart, that they would not be in trouble, that my excellence in parenting would be vindicated by the way they act. Identity wraps around a little bit. Maybe my health, that I would be comfortable, or that I would be healthy, or that I could keep the figure I have, or whatever. I don't know what you guys think about. My success, that I would excel in my field, that I would ace that test. How many times did I pray that in high school and college and seminary um, because my identity was wrapped up in the score on the top of the page of that test? That my ideas would prove effective, that people would listen to me, that I would be successful, that people would know I, I was successful. How about stuff? That we would get that house, that it would be appraised appropriately when we try to sell the house, that I'd get that car. I remember praying really, really hard in high school about an RX-7. It was a sweet, used 70s RX-7. Like I, I, don't, I don't think I want it just to be cool. It's just a cool car. I think it'd be good. I didn't get the RX-7. For that vacation... We just really need a good leisurely vacation. Whatever it is, I don't know what you're asking for prayer about. It's not a perfect indicator, but the way we ask people to pray can sometimes be indicative of what we think is most important. How I label myself in my own mind. I am my job, or the greatness of my family, or the healthiness of my body, or the magnitude of my successes, or the value of my stuff. That's who I am. This morning... We're going to take a peek at Paul asking for prayer. That's what he's doing at the end of this letter. And we will see that he has one of our identity statements 
and he and we will know he completely believes it by his prayer request. He will ask for prayer that he can engage as a missionary. And that's our big idea this morning. We engage as missionaries. I just gave a huge hint to anyone that's in a life group when their life group leader says, what was the big idea at the sermon? We engage as missionaries. That's the big idea. And as individuals in this church, we see our identity as those who engage as missionaries. Before we even get started with Colossians, let me define this phrase just so you can have it sit in your head properly. We engage as missionaries. We, all of us, are included. If you say, I include myself as part of this church, we, all of us, are included as those who engage. We make specific action. We do something as missionaries. We do that action towards a specific mission that is centered around God proclaiming the gospel, the good news. Jesus came proclaiming that same good news of the kingdom of God as an extension of his mission. We also engage as missionaries on the same mission. We do actions. We do activities. We speak words toward that end. Paul was on the same mission as us. And Colossians 4 is the end of the letter where Paul is asking for prayer. Just a heads up, he's going to give one request and he's going to give four challenges to the recipients of the letter. And we get to listen along and receive those same things. So he starts, I want to start in in verse 2. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This first instruction, Paul starts instructing in a simple way. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't stop praying. Don't stop communicating to the God that listens, that wants to relate to us as a loving father. We see that in Matthew. A God that will listen, a God that cares, and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. I see, when I read that phrase, I see someone prone as they go about life. Always ready to thank God, always ready to speak with God, always ready to ask for help from God. When they experience something where it is fitting, they say, oh, thank you, God, you are so good and gracious, and I can see it in this moment. Or when they get to something else where life is just hard and they don't know how to traverse the obstacle that's put before them, God, I need help, I don't know what to do. Always ready to pray, always ready to talk with God. Paul assumes They're already praying and just says, continue steadfastly doing this thing. Don't stop doing this thing. Don't stop praying. Continue steadfastly. And he moves to his request. Paul continues with his request and says, as you are praying, I know you're praying, continue praying steadfastly. But as you are praying, pray for us. For me and the people who are writing this letter, which reminds us that Paul served as a team as well. He didn't do stuff on his own. Pray for us that God may open a door for the word. A door for the word. Paul is finishing out a letter and he wants his friends to be praying for him. And his main request is that God would open a door for the word. Specifically, that as Paul experiences life that he goes about, there would be an opportunity, a small crack in the door, that he could walk up and open it and proclaim the word. That's what Paul wants. He said, if you're going to pray for me about anything, pray about this. And what kind of opportunity does he need? What kind of word does he want to proclaim? If we continue 
In chapter 4, he says, to declare the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. The word I want to declare, to, to, to yell loudly, is the mystery of Christ. I, I, my, it may have just been me, but who has never really noticed this phrase in the Bible before? It's me. Great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's just me. Well, I noticed it this week. We're used to the phrase, the gospel of Christ, or the good news of Christ, or the word of Christ, or the kingdom of God, or gospel, or good news, just something like that. We're not used to mystery of Christ. We don't talk that way a lot. In Greek, the mysterion to Christu. I just think that sounds awesome. It turns out that Paul uses this three other times in this letter. In in chapter 1, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a crazy mystery. In chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery of Christ is God's secret for most of history. Hidden for ages and generations. People did not know what was going to happen. And, it is, and Paul's saying it's finally been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. Christ and what God is doing in Christ. The Son of God. God rescuing His creation. And we get to be included in this understanding and the ramifications of this mystery. Christian, fellow Christian, we do not have a good option among many for how to live life. We do not have a a plausible philosophy among all the other plausible philosophies about life. We do not have just another worldview about life, another opinion about life, another self-help scheme. We hold the secret of God. We hold the mystery of God. If, if you're sitting here and you don't align with this or you don't believe what New Life Church believes and you, you've just come and you're not on the same page as us, you don't believe this idea, first, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're sitting here. And second, can I just tell you, I'm sorry. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes I forget what we hold. I forget how dramatic and ultimate and all-encompassing the truth that we hold is. And sometimes when we talk about it, we, just, we talk about it as an option. We pitch it as something to be sold. We think maybe you don't need it. It works for me. It might not work for you. Our tone can come across as, here's an option. I'm guilty of this. I've done this, and I'm sorry. I'm apologizing. I'm sorry because we talk this way. 
Sometimes it sounds like we place it alongside the latest parenting idea or the newest, newest type of dish soap that just really gets those dishes clean or my opinion about a sports team or the latest product I just can't get enough of. I just love it. And we, it's just an option. It's just, this is what works for me. And when we speak that way, when I have spoken that way, I'm presenting something woefully inadequate about what is true. Can I tell you, fellow believers, can I tell you, we have the mystery of Christ. We know the results of the secret plan God has had in place since the beginning of existence, since before creation was even created. We have the secret. We know the mystery. The world, the entirety of the universe is broken and wrecked. Any honest observer can look and see that and admit that that's true. Things are broken at a deep and profound level. Not just the structures of society, not just the frame of civilization, but also the confines of our own hearts and our own minds. We look and say, this is true, everything's broken. And God in Christ is mending things and putting things back together. You and I have guilt gumming up our souls and darkening our hearts and blinding our eyes. And God in Christ is redeeming us and forgiving us. There is shame on you and shame on me for things that we have done or things that have been done to us. We feel dirty and rejected. God in Christ is cleansing us and making us whole, washing us from even the results of what other people have done to us. This world is unreconciled. We don't get along. I don't know if you know that or not. We don't get along. We are at each other's throats. We identify by our polarization. Man, woman, black, white, rich, poor, secular, spiritual, right, left, etc., etc., etc. And it is not working. No one has ultimate ideas about how to bring us together. But God in Christ is reconciling us. There's evil in this world. Did you know that? There's evil in this world. And in your most vulnerable and honest moment, you know you're not just an observer of evil, you're a contributor to evil. God in Christ is getting rid of evil and reconciling his enemies to himself, making enemies friends. This world is confused and searching for answers and constantly giving bad options and just running with them because maybe it'll work if we run long enough. God in Christ is revealing himself to the world and saying, let me show you who I am. Let me show you my character. Let me show you how to live. This is the mystery of Christ. God showed up. He didn't have to. God stepped in. He didn't have to. God decided to forgive. God decided to help in the person of Christ. This is a mystery and it is the mystery that we hold. That Paul holds, that Paul knows. And he says, if you're praying for me, pray that there's a crack in the door so I can open it up and declare the mystery of Christ. And he continues, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, this mystery is why I'm in prison. Literally, the words here are literally, I am bound. You can picture the manacles and the chains 
He is bound. Perhaps he's looking at them while he's dictating in this letter the mystery of Christ, why I am bound, and he picks them up. I am bound because of the mystery of Christ, because I was declaring it. And back to my prayer request, pray that God would open a door for this word, for the mystery of Christ, that I would be able to make it clear and obvious that I could in a helpful way proclaim the mystery of Christ. He says, because I ought to speak it. Literally, I am bound to speak this way. I am bound to speak this way. Perhaps Paul is okay with telling a joke in the middle of a prison cell. I don't know. A little tongue-in-cheek, he says, I'm bound because of the mystery of Christ, and I am bound to proclaim the mystery of Christ. I'm in chains because I proclaim the mystery of Christ, and I am forever chained to Christ, and I have to proclaim it. And even while I sit in this prison, when you are praying, thanking God for what he is doing in your life, praying for your friends, praying for the people that don't know Christ, pray for me that I would have an opportunity, even in this dingy cell, that there would be a chance to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the mystery of Christ, to tell someone the mystery of Christ, to tell them what God is doing in Christ, to engage someone, that's what I want. He doesn't ask for prayer for health, for freedom, for the death of the guards, for the vindication from his sentence, for a mechanical failure with his chains or the gates, for a just verdict, for a better lawyer. All these things I would be asking for prayer about. Right? Wouldn't you? He asked that a door would open a crack so he would be able to proclaim the mystery. Pray for me. Because his identity is that he is one of the ones that engages as a missionary. He is one of the ones that proclaims the mystery of Christ. Well, yeah, but that that guy is Paul. He's crazy. Or, that's his job. Of course, we know Paul does that. He's crazy and it's his job. Is that what you're thinking? Identity is not determined by your vocation, but by ultimate truth. And this is why Paul continues by exhorting his his readers to walk in the same type of way because we have the same truth that Paul has. Paul continues with some challenges. Do life this way. He's already said, continue steadfastly in prayer. In verse 5 he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? They're the ones that don't know the mystery of Christ. They're on the outside of the knowledge. They're on the outside of the mystery. There's there's the great box. They don't know what's inside the box. They could be your neighbor. They could be your coworker in the cubicle next to you, the fellow student who sits next to you in class, your mom, your dad, your brother, your son the fellow parents on the baseball team, the gal you work out with, the buddy you golf with. Walk in wisdom toward them. Wisdom is understanding how the world is put together with God at the top and responding and acting appropriately in any situation with that understanding in place. 
That's wisdom. There's a lot of practical wisdom to be found in Proverbs in the Scriptures. It describes how the world is put together. Understanding God in His proper place is the beginning of wisdom. This is how the wise person acts, informing their actions and the steps of their life with a proper understanding of the universe and how God put it together, how He's working, how things ought to be done. To engage as a missionary is to walk in wisdom. Maybe you start by asking questions like these. Does the way I talk to that coworker display the fact that I know the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ? Another, do I reflect the character of God in my actions? Most of the time, I am making decisions about life as part of the rat race. I'm just running along with everybody else. Or, Am I doing it as someone who knows how the universe is put together? As someone who knows what God is doing? Just sit with those thoughts for a little bit. Do I walk in wisdom towards those who do not know the mystery? That may sting a little. Pricks the heart a little. Pricks the mind a little. Because if you're thinking like me, if you live life like me, It is too easy to live as though you know the mystery when you're sitting in this room, when other people agree with you, and then Monday through Friday you live the normal nine to five. You live a life that would never give a suspicion that you know the secret of the universe. If you're like me, you forget and then act accordingly, which is just follow what everybody else is doing. Friends, you know the mystery. You know what God is doing in the world. There is no reason to tuck it away. Because everyone else, they don't know what's going on. They're just walking around going, is this, what, is this life? You guys have the mystery. Consider how you walk. Walk in wisdom towards those who do not know the mystery. Pray and ask God to give the wisdom needed to walk with people you know are on the outside. Pray for those friends that God would show them through you the mystery of Christ. Ask for help in your community, in your life group. This is the, one of the reasons we live life together in life groups so we can help each other walk in wisdoms. A few examples that have gone through my mind or I've seen people ask. Someone comes up, hey, I'm feeling pressured at work. This was me. I'm feeling pressured at work to charge a certain customer more than we would charge other customers just because they trust us and won't check it. What do I do? What is the wise way to walk? Help me bolster my courage to walk in wisdom so I can do the proper thing. Because I know how the world's put together. We have a God of truth and justice. You don't take advantage of someone just because they won't check. Someone else, hey, I've been hanging out with this, this person I work out with and we finally had a deep conversation and they want to know what I think about hell. And it freaked me out. Can you help me walk through the scriptures so I, I know what the Bible says about this so I can give a wise answer? I told them, I, don't want, to have, I, I'm, I want to have this conversation, but I want to study and make sure I can speak clearly. Yeah, let's talk about that so we can wisely respond. I'm going on a business trip and a lot of 
attendees of this training, we do our training and every night people just get drunk and they go to strip clubs. Every night. How do I wisely avoid that and decline their guaranteed invitation while sharing the reason that I don't, I don't just not want to get caught. I want to be completely faithful to my wife because there's joy there. I'm not just a prude. I want ultimate delight. And I know it's staying away from that. How do I do that? How do I talk that way? How do I walk in wisdom? Hey, I, I got to argue with some buddies about current events stuff on the news, and I feel like I'm just regurgitating stuff from my favorite news source. Can you help me drill down into principles so I can speak with wisdom in a way that that shows I know how God put the world together? I want to walk in wisdom. I want to talk in wisdom about these things. And one of the things I've realized is the one who walks in wisdom does not have to be different versions of himself or herself throughout life. I don't have to be bro Eric and professional Eric and super spiritual pastor Eric and citizen Eric. I can be walking in wisdom, Eric. I don't have to keep switching hats. I can be the same person all the time. You can be the same person in every situation. And man, is that refreshing to have a holistic approach to life and the way you think and act and not just be switching hats just to blend in. Does it take practice? Yes. Does all wisdom come in a moment and you know everything? No. But we belong to the God of all wisdom and He desires to give us wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, The Lord gives wisdom. James 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. We have the God who gives wisdom. Paul continues with his instruction. Make Number three, making the best use of the time. There's only a little bit of the time left, right? There's only a little bit of the time remaining, and it doesn't matter how old you are. You say, I, I'm 80, there's only a little bit of time left. Yeah, I'm 30, there's only a little bit of time left. We have a short and scarce resource. And Paul says, make the best use of the time. This word, make the best use, is is a single word, redeem, redeem it, buy it up, capitalize on it, use it to make something happen. I think about this constantly. Am I making the best use of the time? Am I buying up the time appropriately? Who has ever said, I'm just so busy right now? It's really just me. Come on, guys. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just so busy right now. And who has realized they just keep saying that over and over and over again? It never stops. I'm just always so busy. Does that ever make you think, am I making the best use of my time? Am I using, this, using appropriately this scarce and limited resource? If I'm so stinking busy, I better be doing the best things. Because I don't have a lot of time. The best things. And on top of that, we live in a world that is designed to distract you. Designed to keep your attention on a screen. To keep your mind occupied away from the most important things. It is designed to keep you not making the best use of your time. I recently realized 
I was getting frustrated about how much time I had my eyes pointed towards this thing. I downloaded an app that, I, that tracked the time I spent on my phone. It analyzed me for a little while. And how much time did it find me staring at the screen? Over two hours a day. And that was after I decided to cut down. That was after I was already starting to do pretty good at this. And that doesn't include my work phone. Because I have two phones, one for work, one for personal. Two hours a day. The average adult spends three and a half hours a day. That's, that's not to pump me up. I, I, was, I was there. I just, whatever. The average teen or younger is above five. That's only because we don't know how to use it that well. They're just better at it. This doesn't include TV or movies or watching the news or whatever you do with the bigger screens in your life. And this is, this is not a portion of a sermon where I go, let's beat up on technology. Technology is an incredible tool. It's a dangerous tool. It'll suck your time. It'll suck to your mental energy. It'll keep you occupied on things that aren't important. And it gives us a chance to look at a slice of our lives where it becomes painfully obvious that I may not be making the best use of my time. If I'm so stinking busy all the time, it better be for things that are worth it. I better be redeeming the time. Our little book in the missionary piece says that we have mission on the calendar. That's what it means to engage as missionaries. We have mission, we have spots on the calendar for mission. We have margin for people. We have time for people. We aim for a drink or a meal a week with people that are disconnected from God. Those that don't know the mystery. Well, I'm, I'm too busy to make that happen. I was on the phone two hours in one day. I'm just, I'm just speaking for me, I'm sure. How can you make margin? How can I make margin? How can we make the best use of our time? When I've been saying I don't have time or margin to befriend outsiders or to be hospitable, I've realized that I need to change my schedule. I need to make time for the most important things and let the, the less important fall if they don't make the cut. Can I just step on some idols for a moment? Is that okay? I can't make the best use of my time. I'm talking for me. I can't make the best use of my time if I know how every football, basketball, baseball team is doing. I can't. I, I know how I work, and I've tried, and I go, this is the most important thing in the world. I'm so busy, I don't have time. For me, realizing I will never have the golf handicap that I want. That's a dumb thing. It's a real thing. If I make time for that, I have to get rid of things that are actually important. It's realizing that I don't have to have a favorite TV show. I don't have to be in the know for all the top shows or the top movies. Make the best use of your time. Those are just me. I'm sure things are popping up in your head. There's a scarce resource. How can we use it well? There are three ways 
At New Life Church, we are thinking about this use of time. We talk about engaging as missionaries at three different levels. First is the, the level of individual, you and me. Individuals who share the identity of ones who engage as missionaries, looking to their neighbor, seeking to put intentionality into their calendar, making sure they have time to take that person to lunch or have an ongoing coffee date with that person. Or a group of people are going to continue to engage with because they love them and they know they don't know the mystery. Living life with eyes open. Who can I engage? Where has God cracked the door open a little bit? I'm looking for opportunities, praying that God would open doors. That's the first level of the individual. If we were just on, t- if that resonated throughout our entire church, that'd be an incredible thing. The second are individuals that come together and do um, more of a group thing. You have, you have seen groups come together to love a particular group with actions or service, go help a school, go serve a neighbor. Or people walking through Christianity Explored or Alpha with outsiders as a means to make the best use of time. Local outreach group. And the, top, the third level, top, bottom, whatever, it's just the third. We do engagement corporately, mission together. As a church, we want to make sure we, use the best, we make the best use of our time. Which is why we open the doors for coffee cart. So high schoolers can drink coffee in the morning. We occupy the fellowship hall downstairs for for Celebrate Recovery. We use the houses as recovery houses so we can begin to proclaim the mystery of Christ to those people that need help. As a church, as groups, as individuals, we're seeking to make the best use of our time, making sure we spend it on the right things. If you're going to be busy, be doing something awesome. Let's do something that proclaims the reality of the universe. The mystery of what God is doing in Christ. That's what I want to do. That's just a better use of time. Paul continues with his fourth instruction. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says, walk well, pray steadfastly, redeem your time, and speak well. Let your speech always be gracious. I think there are two things going on with this phrase. Let your mouth often be speaking of grace. We have grace through God, Creator God, Redeemer God. And also let it be gracefully spoken, charming, winsome, helpful. We're not selling something. We're proclaiming something. And that truth we are to proclaim should be ready to pop off our tongue And the method with which we speak it should be full of grace as well. It does not do to speak a true word with a hard heart or with harsh words. When you do that, you don't engage as a missionary, you're just a curmudgeon. Not wise and not like someone who knows the mystery, who knows the character of God. Seasoned with salt, salty speech. Language seasoned appropriately so it is flavorful and packs a punch. I love grilling a proper steak. Love it. My favorite is a New York strip with a nice fat cap on the side. Anyone? Anyone? But you start grilling the side first. So the fat renders and it's like butter when you cut into it. Fantastic. Delicious. How do you prepare a perfect steak, a great steak? Step one, you buy a great steak. 
Step two, you salt it. So the flavors of the great steak are pronounced and presented to the palate in an appealing way. Step three, you don't overcook the steak. I'm passionate about this steak stuff. If you don't appropriately salt a steak, you don't just lose the salt, you lose some of the steak. The salt is there to point out how fantastic the steak is. If I speak grace without grace, I've lost some grace. You walk up, hey dummy, Christ is a redeemer that saves even an idiot like you. Figure it out. Not helpful. Right? Or maybe we do some of the sideline stuff. Hey, stupid world. You're all just a bunch of stinking sinners and you're all going to hell. Accept Christ or go to hell. Not helpful, not wise or anything. Just stop talking for a while. That'd be great. But those who walk in wisdom, making good use of time, stand in front of their neighbor as someone who has taken the time to love them and be kind to them. And they can say, friend, I care about you. I know something about God that I want you to know. He's come to rescue me from my path and the path of this broken world. He has changed my heart and my mind. He's working to mend all that's broken. He's doing incredible things in and through Christ. He's fixing the world. He's mending the broken. I care about you and I want you to know about Christ. I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to be with him like I am with him. Because I love you. I care about you. That's saltier, right? It's more helpful. Paul says so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How you ought to answer. This is the same word Paul used for himself. How I ought to speak or am bound to speak. Remember the chains? Remember his little tongue-in-cheek thing? How you ought to speak. We are bound with Paul to speak. Every person has a different story. Every relationship has a different focus. Every person has a different hurt. Your coworker does not struggle with the same thing as your neighbor and not dealing with the same thing as the person that made your coffee on Tuesday. But what God is doing in Christ is so big that there's something upon which you can focus and is good news. And with gracious, salty speech, you may know how to answer each person, how you are bound to proclaim the mystery of Christ. When I have a friend sitting across the lunch table from me saying, my parents are dying and I, I've been thinking about it a lot and it's just scary. I can talk about the God who brings the death of death. And I can say, no, life should not end this way. Death is not a normal part of life. We're just dealing with it because it keeps happening. It's part of the curse and God is remedying the curse. Or on a drive to a job, a coworker who's constantly being philosophical and can't help but ask, why are we here? I can talk about the God who reveals himself and shows his plan and the mystery of Christ. Or to every socially current event aware coworker or the person next to me in the coffee shop who feels like screaming at the injustice in this world but feels paralyzed by the scope, I can talk about a God who is reconciling all things to himself. 
and who is the God of justice and righteousness and will make all things new. When someone tells me they've been abused, I can sit with them and I can cry with them. And then I can tell them about a God who cleanses us from shame, even the shame brought about from what other people did to us. I can sit with the neighbor who feels like a failure of a father, and I can sit with the guy who feels like he failed his father. And I can talk about the God who is a better father, and I can talk about the God who redeems us and gives us righteousness. When a coworker who grew up in the same town as me, tells me he was pulled over 15 times before he was 17, not because he was constantly speeding or running red lights, but because his skin was darker than mine. I can, I can cringe and express my frustration and then my hope that God is in the process of reconciling people, even those opposed to each other, and I get to and want to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. I can talk to a friend who is frustrated with politics and how we govern ourselves, who feels like throwing the TV out the window, and, can say, and I can say, yes, it is failing, and yes, it is frustrating, and I do want better solutions, but I don't put my ultimate hope there. God is king of the universe and is a good king who will make all right and all good one day. We can work for good now, and I want to do that, and I will do that in the slow process that it is, but I will also wait for a king who will never fail me, who will never disappoint me in the way he governs. Or when I meet a customer who in a freakishly odd moment of vulnerability tells me she knows she deserves punishment because she had an abortion. Or the friend who says, I forced someone to have an abortion. I can, I can talk to them about the God that died for us and takes our guilt from us and takes our shame from us. Or for the one who is tormented and constantly being told lies, I can talk about the God who can defeat every demon and Satan himself. And with every neighbor who says, it's so hard to put down this bottle. It's so hard to put away these pills. It's so hard not to drive to the place where I know I can pick the drugs up. I can talk about a God who gives us freedom from sin and works to renew our minds. And my friends, this is all the same God. God is doing all of this work through Christ. That's the mystery. This is the mystery that has been held for ages. That God has not just created and abandoned us and left us to our own devices and said, I hope it works out okay. God has interjected himself and he is doing work. He is cleansing and forgiving, reconciling and redeeming, satisfying and saving, rescuing and renewing, defeating and uplifting. He is the one who creates and the one who is present, the one who died and the one who defeated death itself. He is good and gracious and he is a king. He includes us, we who were enemies, and he makes us friends. He was on a mission and he is not done. The mystery of Christ and his work is too great to stop 2,000 years ago. It's too big to stop. It will never stop until all is made right, every injustice crushed, every bend made straight. He will mend this place. 
and he can mend you and he can mend me. And he can rescue your friends and your family and your co-workers and your neighbors and every person that you think is just too far gone to even be helped. This is the mystery. With Christ, no one is too far gone. No one is not worth engaging. And you, my friends, are bound to proclaim it. Because you have the mystery. You know the truth. You know what Christ is doing in this world and what he has done. You know that he died for the sins of the world and that death could not hold him. My friends, you get to proclaim the God who cleanses, forgives, reconciles, dies, rises, reveals, defeats, brings freedom, and is king. You get to proclaim that. You are bound to proclaim that. That's why we engage. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you give us eyes to see this all clearly. Holy Spirit, open our eyes so we see truth in all of its magnificence because it's too good. It's too good. Give us hearts that pump faster when we think about this truth. Let it not be in our minds something relegated to the back of our heads. Let that truth of Christ permeate all the corners of our minds. Give us wisdom, a knowledge of how you have put together the world and how you are rescuing and redeeming the world. Give us wisdom to walk and be courageously walking towards outsiders. Holy Spirit, give us a keen perspective into our use of time. Help us to cut the fat so we can make the best use of the short time that we have. Give us hands that help, help us let go of what is not important so we can grasp the more tightly what we are happily bound to. Give us words, give us grace, give us salt. We want to tell good news and when bits of it come out of our mouth, we want it to sound good because it's good. Give us soft hearts for people. Show us the baby steps we can take to engage, to do action. Thank you for including us in your mission. Thank you for changing our identity. Amen.